Hello and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. In our 27th episode, we talked to Bruce Kushnick, Executive Director of the New Networks Institute. Bruce has been a telecom analyst for over 29 years and is heavily involved in consumer advocacy through Teletruth. Bruce is a regular blogger on the Huffington Post and his articles run in a variety of syndicated publications. He's been described as the Ralph Nader of the telecom set. Bruce looks back at the modern history of telecommunications. He explains how the large telecommunications giants made promises to bring broadband to all of us. Bruce goes on to describe where things went wrong, how promises were broken, and how many of us will never receive services we've already paid for many times over. Here are Chris and Bruce. I'm here today with Bruce Kushnick, the Executive Director of New Networks. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for having me. I first became aware of your work, I think, probably about four and a half, five years ago, right around the time I was starting. And, and I looked at uh, one of your books that you have available, and my first thought was, this can't be true. Um, it can't be true that the telephone companies have, have ripped off America to this extent and nobody knows about it. And so that's why I wanted to have you on the show today to talk about um, your, the research that you've done over many years uh, and, and what, the, what, what the telephone companies have done to our country. Well, it's a long tale of, of woe. Um, essentially, essentially the, the book that I wrote, uh, which is now called 300 Billion Broadband Scandal, um, and it was written in 2005 and been updated. Um, basically, the story is as follows. The phone companies in 1992, soon to be Vice President Al Gore, uh, had this vision called the Information Superhighway. And he had basically suggested that everyone... Uh, get a, a wire in their home that was fiber optic and that the country would be rewired by the year 2010, which was the target year because it was, it was 20 years away. It was far enough away that nobody, you know, nobody could say anything uh, uh, that it wasn't going to happen. Right. And at the time, I was a, I was a senior analyst um, in telecommunications, and I had been working for various research firms, um, usually through joint ventures. Um, I wrote a report in 1985 about how the uh, addition of technology to the networks was going to change the networks. So I was very well aware of, the, uh, of what uh, the, the implications were of having some, a fiber optic wire to the home. And so the question was is whether the government should pay for this or whether the phone companies um, would pay for this. And the phone companies all stood up and said, they raised their hand and said, hi, you know, we'll do this. And they made announcements. Uh, then Bell Atlantic, which was on the East Coast, uh, from New Jersey down to D.C., basically said that we would, they would have 8.75 million households wired, and they would be spending $11 billion. And out in California, Pacific Bell of California said that it was going to spend $16 billion and have 5.5 million households wired by the year 2000. So it was a very heady moment. And the phone companies, in order to go out and do this, just had a plan, and the plan was they would go state by state and have a con- a consultants, somewhat like myself, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't working for them. Uh, wasn't working for them on this project, and they would go and say, "Hi, we would love to go out and rewire the entire state of, say, New Jersey. Uh, if you do one thing, we need to get more money because if we don't get more money, we can't pay for the upgrades. So change the laws that basically uh, don't and don't look at our profits." and allow us to make as much money as we can. And the, at the time, they were still monopolies. And we will go out and we will rewire the state. So in the state of New Jersey, for example, Verizon had, has, 
a commitment to have the whole state finished by the year 2010, 100% with a fiber optic wire capable of 45 megabits in both directions. Now, Verizon went in every state and did this, and so did what is now AT&T. In uh, Illinois, Ohio, Indiana, down in Texas, um, throughout the entire East Coast, Verizon um, basically said we would wire everything. AT&T said it would wire everything, and essentially, by the year 1997, it was very clear to me that none of these guys were telling the truth. Before the Telecommunications Act of 1996, it's, right. it's even really before the Internet has really happened. But you have these, these companies that have made a promise, and for many years they're collecting more money from you know, everyone who's paying a phone bill. And they've promised to make these investments, and, and what you're saying is they didn't do it. <laughs> Not only didn't they do it, they pocketed the money. And it turns out that they've collected about $360 billion by the, year, the end of 2012 from the changes in state laws that gave them more money. And that number is actually conservative because they've been getting rate increases along the way um, to give them more money. So in, in state after state, every customer paid about three to $4,000 per, per household for the ability to have a new fiber optic wire. Let me address the other things you mentioned, but the, the Telecommunications Act in 1996 shows up, and basically it, it's taken three to four years to actually uh, be implemented, um, and people would argue it even longer. And essentially what it was was they, they said the wire into customers' homes um, is going to get upgraded sooner or later anyway, but it should also be open to all competitors. I should be able to choose my own Internet provider, my own broadband provider, my own phone service, and, I, and, that, and, and the phone companies all agreed to do this in exchange for letting them go into the very lucrative long-distance markets. And the long-distance is a separate service from local phone service, um, and there are separate networks that handle the stuff. Now, in the VOIP world, this stuff has all changed. However, uh, probably a, at least a third of America or more has a separate long-distance plan that they're paying extra for. So it turns out also at the same time, 1995-96, the Internet hit. And the Internet basically was, people were already online prior to 1996. There was at least 15 million people that were online who had gone on to things like AOL and uh, Prodigy and CompuServe, which were the old uh, online services. Right. I Actually, I have fond memories of, of those times I used a web crawler, and I remember um, you know, searching around for different local ISPs. It was... Uh, it was, a, it was a fascinating time. Well, and, and the ISPs actually were the – so the end of the year 2000, uh, uh, there was uh, 9,500 Internet providers, of which 50 – the majority of, of the small providers were handling the majority of traffic in the United States for Internet. It was the small providers that went state to state. Went to, you know, in, in the, that lived in the communities or moved or were, you know, very, were localized. And essentially what they would do would they knock on doors and say, hi, you want to go on the Internet? Uh, we'll help you. And they, a lot of them were basically people who would go out and actually talk to you and show you how to hook up your modem and all that other stuff. And they were the ones who actually brought America to the Internet. Mm -hmm. It was not the large corporations. Right. Right. The large corporations uh, took forever for them to even understand what it was about. Right. So on, in the time frame, so what happened was in 1998, uh, AT&T and what is now AT&T and Verizon basically decided to go out and pull a bait and switch. They decided to go out and use the old copper wires that were already in place and basically offer DSL. 
which is uh, ADSL, which is a one basically a fast and only one direction, and can't, it doesn't have a lot of speed because it's basically it's on the old copper wire. Now, this this irony has never bothered, has never bothered regulators, even though customers paid for a fiber optic wire, <laughs> they got. You know, they, they they paid for a Ferrari on the information superhighway, and they got a skateboard on the dirt road. So, when you say regulators, let's let's pile into that for a second. Who who is making those decisions? Well, originally broadband was on this broadband service, and was basically a local was basically a state based uh, decision. So that was the public utility commissions that made the changes to state laws that basically gave the companies more money. It wasn't the FCC. Right. So so you have the public utility commissions and. You know, I'm just trying to think back, you know, before I was working in this field, I didn't really know what a public utility commission was. Uh, and so it strikes me that what you're talking about is some uh, a group of people at the state that uh, only really ever interact with the big providers and the small providers, too. But, um, you know, they're really insulated from the public and the public really has no idea what they do. In 2012, it's the plan now is to erase the public utility commissions from you know, history. Prior to that, it was the actually the states that were taking a gamble on attempting to try to bring broadband to the, the state. Um, you have to understand, it was very messy because you have 50 states, but some states were very active. They had good commissioners. They cared for the public, and basically they were trying to bring broadband to the public. That brings us to Kushnick's Law, right? I mean, you've, you've coined this phrase, and, and I'd really like for you to explain uh, what that is. Kushnick's law, as written, which I did not write, but somebody else did, is a regulated company will always renege on promises to provide public benefits tomorrow in exchange for regulatory and financial benefits today. And this applies to the federal government as well. Um, essentially what happens is, is the companies walk in, walked into the, into the public service commissions and said, hi, we're going to basically rewire the state, change the laws, and then the state didn't track anything. And if they did track anything, the, the companies never got their basically got their hands slapped at best. And there is no state that ever uh, changed the regulation back to give the customers back their money. And which is when you think about it, you know, in the state of New Jersey, they've collected 13 billion dollars to do the rewiring of the state. <laughs> That's a lot of money per customer. <laughs> so you've you've said that you you think it was reasonable, or I mean, I get the impression that you say it was reasonable for a public utility commission to to give these regulatory concessions in the hopes of getting the the networks built uh, what why didn't the public utility commission step in with repercussions when they did not get the benefits that were promised well there's a, there's a caveat to Kushnick's law is after 18 months people forget it's just a law <laughs> okay and now you have to understand this happened on the, on the federal level too I mean, you know, we're, we're, for example, AT&T has just filed to remove all regulations in the United States at the FCC, and all telecommunications regulations that are left. In many states, they've been able to get, working with a group called the American Ex uh, Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, uh, they've, they've gone into 23 states and removed regulations. In some states, the public service commissions no longer have oversight over the phone companies. Period. Done. Yeah, we were we were looking at that in Minnesota. There was an Alec AT&T bill that would have uh, not only gutted the Public Utility Commission but also the Department of Commerce. Oh, <laughs> listen, their goal now is to get a is to get the FCC to agree to a to basically close down the public switch telephone networks, 
And at the same time, um, their, their next step after that basically is to go to Congress, which a bill in Congress will show up at the beginning of next year to basically gut the Telecommunications Act of 1996 and gut all state laws. And this, and this is one of the scariest things that's ever happened in my you know, 30 years of being a consultant because essentially what it's doing is it is removing basic obligations to the company. If your line breaks in the middle of nowhere, too bad. If your uh, service goes out. Now, one of the important things, so I'd like to, so let me go back to the story. So in, in 2004, AT&T and Verizon come up with a strategy to close down all competition on the phone networks, uh, basically by claiming that they would upgrade the networks then if the networks were closed um, and create new services such as Uverse and Fios. To whom did they make this argument? Was this a federal argument? This was an argument made to the FCC, to the public, and in the states. Because the states, in some states, they still had to sign off on, on things like a franchise for the cable part of it. And so the companies applied for statewide franchises. So in, in AT&T's case, AT&T said, we'll roll out Uverse. And AT&T then, by the end of 2007, AT&T had controlled 22 states. Now, you have to understand something about Uverse. It, it should be called Reverse. <laughs> Mainly because it's still using the old copper wires. It is still using the wires that customers had, you know, basically was supposed to be upgraded to fiber 20 years ago. They're still and they're claiming that they can close down whole areas of these networks, even though, and this is the funny part, even though basically customers paid for upgrades multiple times. For people who didn't notice, also Netflix just released a ranking of the national ISPs. And for all of Uverse's supposed advanced technology, it came in behind all of the cable networks in terms of uh, sustained speeds. Right. Now, you have to understand, the word, AT&T, AT&T has a massive deceptive campaign out there. Their goal is to basically remove regulations across the United States. And so they've basically got the public to think that the words public switch telephone networks, the utilities, really means only one service, local phone service, known, oh, oh, re, uh, formerly known as POTS, plain old telephone service. But I'd like to read you the definition of the public switch telephone network as told by uh, a footnote in FCC's 2012 Connect America order. Quote, the public switch telephone network is not a single-use network. Modern network architecture can provide access not only to voice services, but also to data, graphics, video, and other services. And the definition of the public switch telephone network was changed in every state law in 1992, um, basically claiming that it was a now a broadband network, and it was a cable network, and it was a video network, and it was a data network, and it was an internet network, and it had nothing whatsoever. Sorry, the word internet wasn't around in 1992. Um, but all of those services were supposed to were and are part of the PSTN. Mm -hmm. This whole myth that, that basically um, that AT&T is putting forward is that one service, the voice service, is going to be closed down. But the truth of the matter is you close the wires down, you close down any possibility of any service or any competitor using those services. So can I, is it correct then to say that essentially what happened was you had these massive companies that went to public utilities commissions, they got rate increases in order to upgrade people's networks, they gave a lot of that money to shareholders, and some of the money they put into building newer networks over the years, and they're now claiming that those newer networks are not the publicly switched telephone network. Is that correct? 
And just as a caveat, they are privatizing publicly funded assets because the money that, were, that are being used today are still the old construction budgets that were supposed to upgrade the PSDN. It's just now in the uh, it's now in the pocket. It goes the money goes into a different bucket. When the revenues come in, it goes into a different subsidiary. It does not go back to the local phone company to actually upgrade the networks, which it was supposed to do all along. Now this this kind of uh, shell game that they're playing has been going on is is going on in every state with all the phone companies. It isn't just AT and T; it's all the companies. And essentially, they've been doing this now. And so what they're doing is they're they're cross subsidizing their other businesses via the customers getting rate increases. In the state of New York, they specifically said that they were going to use the do a rate increase in 2009 to pay for quote unquote fiber optics. The only fiber optics being installed is FiOS. Now, this, this rate increase hit every re- residential customer and business customer in all areas, including the rural areas that are never getting upgraded. So, customers in rural areas got hit, got hit with rate increases for services they will never get. <laughs> and one would, think, one would think somebody would notice. You know, that's, that's the thing. Somebody, somebody, and they've effectively won that bet, right? I mean, the people that have noticed have not been able to uh, stop them. I mean, namely you, right? Uh, Ready? Right. Quote. They will not close down the PST on my watch. <laughs> Unquote. Close quote. I am not. This is this is not going to happen. Okay. If I have if I have any say in this, and I will, you know, and I will use every last breath because this is the end of telecommunications as we know it. I don't know if Getting we have any bold. illustrators out there, but I think this is the beginning of a new comic book hero. <laughs> One would, one would hope. Hey, I've been doing this. This is my 21st year of doing this. So I, my feeling is this. I've been battered and bruised before. I'm very zen about it, though, because you have to understand when, you, you know, when you're sitting there. So we were, I'll give you the, my favorite example. We were on the FCC Consumer Advisory Committee in 2003. And uh, I'm sitting there, and we have just done a study. on. We examined phone bills, and we did a study on Verizon phone bills. And we found 74 different truth and billing violations, among other things. We even had a class action suit that we took and settled based on uh, some of the information that we actually were presenting that we found on bills. Um, and on the, as being a member of the truth and billing thing, we actually suggested that they do a, a meeting and have a truth and billing day. This is 19, you know, a decade ago, literally. And um, we were not only we, they did the meeting, but we were denied to speak. And the reason why we were denied to speak was because Verizon was not only on the committee, but the meetings were at Verizon's offices sometimes. And the people in the room that I was sitting with, at least a third of the people in the room were the industry, and the other third of the room was paid for by AT&T or Verizon or Comcast. And they had direct financial relationships with these people. The group that's closing down the public switch telephone networks today is known as the Technical Advisory Council at the FCC. And the majority of the people on that committee have a direct financial relationship with Verizon and AT&T, who are also on the committee. The head of the committee is the former head of the National of the, of the Cable Association, the NCTA, and he was the former head of the Wireless Association, the CTIA. And one would think that this is a conflict of interest. But no, not the FCC. So the FCC has created, has had a meeting where they're going to basically close the public switch telephone networks. Um, they've created a task force, which was suggested by uh, the new commissioner, Ajat Pei, who basically was a former Verizon counsel and worked for law firms that Verizon and uh, the rest of the phone companies uh, uh, used uh, with, with clients. 
And he was congratulated by a guy named Fred Walden, who's on the telecommunications subcommittee in the House, who basically his, his campaign contributions come from the cable and phone companies. And then so we wonder, you know, and when I mean that the, that the Technical Advisory Council is a front group for AT&T, it was started basically when AT&T filed in 2009, claiming that there were two networks, a broadband network and the PSTN, and that the, and one was the one was the new the new shiny network, and the other one was the old copper wires. Mm-hmm. And essentially, that filing turned into the to a committee that basically was looking to quote transition or sunset the, the public switch telephone networks. Now, all of this is being done uh, with with the background of something called VOIP, voice over the internet. They claim that the the networks have to be changed because the the VOIP services, you know, can't be done on the regular phone services, and we need to go out and upgrade all of the networks. The networks are always upgraded; they've been upgraded for decades with different standards. Now, the, the VOIP problem happens to be that VOIP is only one service; it's a voice service, and the other problem is not the internet. And the third problem is, is they don't want to. They don't want to have you know. Let's let's keep it free. But the truth of the matter is, is they, if you look at a bill from the VOIP providers or people who are using UVerse, for example, is considered a VOIP service. Right, or the cable um, networks, right? Right, and or the cable networks. They, if you look at their bills, you'll see that they have all the taxes, fees, and surcharges as everybody else does, and all the made-up fees that should not be on the bill in the first place. So this nuanced. Uh, jujitsu that they've been doing about free the internet has confused people. They, but you know, they bought off that AT and T said, "Oh, it's the, the old only phone networks," and that's not true. And they bought off that you know that the internet needs freedom, and that's basically the only freedom is for freedom for the phone companies. Today, there are the, uh, there's a thing the, the public switch telephone network has a word called switched. It turns out that the largest number of lines, which are not being counted, which are never mentioned, are the non-switched lines which are the data lines, and they, uh, which basically are, could be used VOIP today without any problems. They don't tell you that part because basically when they do, we're losing all these lines, they don't count VOIP lines as lines. So AT&T, when it says we're losing all these lines, doesn't include the U-verse one, phone, phone, digital phone services at all. You've um, previously, you've made a really good case that the um, the states aren't collecting enough data, the FCC isn't collecting enough data that that all of these things are being done, and we really don't know what's happening because there's no good data being collected. So is, is that the next good step a state could do is to start collecting better data? Uh, we have filed, we have filed uh, 62 times at the FCC, 19 times about the quality of the data. So the FCC is useless. They will not do anything unless we sue them. So if there's a lawyer out there that wants to that get charged $75,000, we'll be glad to work with you. On the state level, the first question everybody should be saying is, how many lines does AT&T or Verizon have in that state? I, that, that number is important. And, and counting all lines, including all special access lines and all digital lines and all lines that are not being counted. Two, the second thing they should start is an immediate investigation into all of this cross-subsidization and monies being put into these different buckets and the privatizing of the public assets. Because, if we, because what it looks like is, is you can actually wire everybody and you can actually bring the wire to the rural areas and do it all this stuff. And the money's available. The companies have just been hiding it in all these different buckets. You know, when you said, uh, where did the money all go? The money went to the executive compensation. The money went over to spend, uh, I think they lost uh, $30 billion overseas 
um, in, two de- uh, in, in, in the 1990s and uh, the beginning of 2000 um, because of uh, bad investments as a group. And that's where the money went. We drug a wire to every last home, more or less, in this country um, during a span of time that included the Great Depression and the worst world war we ever fought. Um, right. And it's, you know, it's sort of amazing to me that people can suggest that somehow we don't have the capacity to do it now. And uh, it doesn't surprise me to find out that a lot of the money that would be helpful in doing that has been squandered away uh, by these these companies that are very good at hiding such um, earnings. Our, our, our position is everybody should get wired, and you should have a choice of who you of who su- supplies you the service. And that that wire, if you have a wire now, you should just have it upgraded. Period. Right. It's that simple. And most and if you're in a community that's been fighting this stuff, get the money back. Go after the money. You know, as they said, follow the money money trail, and you'll find the you know you'll find that the smoking guns. At the beginning of next year, we will be doing a new campaign to basically stop the Alec-based bills and AT and T and Verizon from closing down the public switch telephone networks. This is the most important fight there is because getting rid of all telecommunications regulation means most people listening to this will have higher phone bills, higher cost of expenses, and not get service. <laughs> this, this is this is a battleground. And when you say when you say phone bills, I mean I'm worried about younger people listening and thinking, "Wow, I don't have a phone bill now. How's it going to affect me?" Well, and I should mention, everybody who has a wireless phone, that wireless phone, when you make that call, goes back to a wire because the cell sites are connected to a wire. If you're using Wi-Fi, there's a wire connected to the Wi-Fi site. So all the stuff we've been talking about today affects you because basically bandwidth caps on the wireless services is created by the wire line control. Very important. And if you're not paying a phone bill today, <laughs> you know, keep it that way as long as you can. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for for coming on the show, and uh, you know, I, I look forward to to having you back to talk about this Alec campaign because it sounds really important. Yes, I, I I love to be back. Thanks, man. That was Bruce Kushnick of the New Networks Institute talking with Christopher. Be sure to visit newnetworks.org where you can get some specifics on Bruce's work and the work of the organization. You can also download his report, The $340 Billion Scandal. If you have any questions or comments, please send us a note. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at communitynets. This show was released on January 8, 2013. Thanks to the Mojo Monkeys for the music licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Bodacious. Thank you.